they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And after they had spoken the word in Perge, and they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And when they had arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Father God, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Grant us repentance from the spirit of religion. Mm. Shake us, God. Shake that which is not eternal. Leave only what is of you. Bless David as he preaches your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So a few years ago, I was um, helping uh, my previous church with worship, and one Sunday morning, I had uh, made out a list of worship songs for the praise team. Now, the praise team comprised pretty much of Melissa and myself, and then some teenage boys. And so I put all the, the, um, the list of the songs on their, their um, song stands, and it was getting ready, and I was like, okay, you know, so y'all ready for these songs? And they're, they're standing there looking at them, and they're looking at each other, and they're looking back at the, the list. And I was like, what's wrong? And they're like, oh, we can't read the list. And I was like, my handwriting's that bad? And they're like, oh, no, we can't read cursive. I was like, what? And that was, that was like, so I was like, I totally missed out on that whole thing where our school stopped teaching cursive and um, that they could not read the cursive. And I thought, wow, that was, so for, you know, I know that for all of us that are a little bit older, we're like, man, I mean, that just kind of blows our mind, you know, because like, let's just look at this right here. This is the, written in 1776, this is the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson, edited by Benjamin Franklin. And as you can see, it is, of course, written in cursive, you know, and I mean, I think, you know, what, what we look, I mean, like, even my Bible right here, this is a Spurgeon study Bible, and it's got his handwritten notes written in cursive in it, and if I couldn't read cursive, I couldn't read that. 
And, you know, I, just, I looked at this, I thought, wow, so cool. I mean, even though it, it kind of bothered me a little bit that he didn't capitalize God and he didn't capitalize Creator down here, but, you know, maybe that, that's, all, that's all good. But, you know, it's, it's interesting as you start to get older and you start looking back at some of the traditions and some of the things that have gone by wayside, and we're like, what, what has happened here? Why is this happening? You know, and, and we, we think, man, you know, how much we lose out on you know, our, our kids not being able to do this, what we've always done. We come across interesting texts this morning that Matt just got through reading to you, to where you had the Christianity was on the move, going to the Gentile people, and these people were, had never been circumcised. So for most of us that are, that are here this morning, we're like, what's the big deal with that? It was a massive deal in the first century church. Let me just show you this. You go all the way back to Abraham, the father of faith, okay? This is, this is all the way back to him, and this is what God said to Abraham. This is the covenant that God makes with Abraham, and this is what he says about the covenant that has to do with circumcision. And we'll understand, after we read these verses, why circumcision was so important to these first century Christians, Jewish slash Christians that are coming to Christ. Here's what it said. Then God said to Abraham, your responsibility. Who's your responsibility? So God's like, I've done something here. Here's your responsibility. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. Here's how you do it. You and all your descendants have this continual. So this is what I mean. There's no indication that it's going to come to an end. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Not a suggestion. You must do this. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Look at this. From generation to generation, once again, there is no indication that this is ever going to come to an end. I mean, you read the scripture right here, it looks like this is going to go on and on and on forever. On the eighth day after his birth, this applies not only to the members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. So it's like... Any man that comes into your house, even if they're not your children, circumcise them too. This is a sign that marks the difference between God's people and non-God's people. What we would say as saved and lost. Believers, non-believers. This is the sign that marks the difference between the two. And even if you bring in a Gentile, whatever it may be, got to be circumcised. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Once again, look at this. It doesn't say temporary covenant, everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Sounds kind of serious to me. If you know the story of maybe you watched the movie, even the Ten Commandments, whenever God comes to Moses and tells Moses, you know, you got to go back into Egypt, go in there and you know, tell, him, tell, tell you know, the king to set my people free, all that story. Well, after that incident, as Moses and his wife and his children are heading to Egypt, this really interesting story that most theologians don't even understand happens. Look at this. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Do I know that? It didn't make it into the movie. But Moses' wife, Sephora, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with his foreskin and said, Now you're a bridegroom of blood to me. 
when she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. So, you got to understand something. These people in the first century were studying their Bible. This was their Bible. Their Bible told them that circumcision is a very, very important thing. It is an everlasting covenant. Everybody's to do this. And all of a sudden, we've got Paul and Barnabas going out through all these Gentiles, sharing the gospel with them, and they're getting saved, and they're coming back with a report. Here's what we're going to see. This story of them coming back saying, all these Gentiles are getting saved. These uncircumcised people are getting saved. So here's, if you're, just kind of give you a map of where we're at. So this right here is modern-day Turkey. This is where we've been on the journey. They started off at Syrian Antioch. They went to Cyprus. They went up all the way around to Derby. Now they're making their way back. You'll see these, Pisidian Antioch, Pisidia. This is the region of Galatia. The book in your Bible, Galatians, was written from Paul to these churches he established. And he established these churches... He goes in there, preaches the gospel, people get saved, and he's there for maybe a few weeks the most, and then he moves on to another church, another place, and starts another church. And then he just comes back a few, like a, a few weeks, maybe a few months later, and kind of, you know, gets them all set straight and leaves them. So here's what I'm saying. There's not a whole lot of training in Christianity that's happened so far. Are you, are you with me now? So like, these are just fledgling churches with not a whole lot of discipleship that's taking place for them. So they passed through Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the Logos, interesting right there, the Logos, that's, like the, that's the speaking of God. The, the, I mean, it's interesting that he uses the difference between gospel and the word. So now he's like, he's teaching them the Logos, the word of God, in Perga. And then they went down to Attilia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God. This is the home church for the work they had now completed. After they arrived, they gathered the whole church up, got them together, went down to the local coffee shop, and they reported everything that God had done. Not what they look at, what God had done with them. Giving all the glory to God. God's the one that's done all this. This isn't something that we did. And that he had opened the thorough. That's where I get the thoroughfare from law to grace. Got that from there, this passageway from this point to the next point, a thoroughfare. This, he opened up. See, God had to open this up for the faith of the Gentiles because they could not intellectually talk them into being saved. This has to be the work of the Holy Spirit turning and churning in the heart and then the response of faith. We're, for by grace, through faith. You're, for by grace you're saved through faith. You got that? So it's got to be the grace of God. And that's what we're looking at. See, we're seeing right here that we're, we're now moving from law and we're moving into grace. But please understand me. The Bible makes it very clear no one was ever saved by keeping the law. Even in the Old Testament, they were saved by grace through faith. Little different though, because now we got faith in the risen Messiah now. And they spent, a, they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So they're back at their home church. It's very interesting because the way Luke writes this in Greek, and what, what he really says, he says, and they, spent, they did not spend any short time with them. Is how he actually wrote that. So some men came down from Judea. That's Judea's elevated. And so they're coming down from elevation. Even they come, they come from Jerusalem, they're always coming down because Jerusalem's elevated. Some men came down from Judea, and they began to teach the brothers. 
unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So what they're doing is they're changing this, the thoroughfare, to grace and law. We're okay with you guys getting saved by grace, but you also get saved by the law too. Now, here's the problem. That's, that is called works righteousness. Anytime, anytime that we say, I'm saved by grace and baptism, that's works righteousness. I'm saved by grace and taking communion, then that's works righteousness. I'm saved by grace and keeping the law, that's works righteousness. Here's the thing. You can't be saved by grace plus anything, and it remains grace. You can't do that. I mean, it's like if you gave someone a gift, and they took their wallet out, and they paid you for the gift, that's not a gift anymore. Or if you gave them a gift, and then they said, well, they got to go, and they're going to work for you to pay the back for the gift, that is no longer a gift. You understand? So you can't grace cannot be added to and still remain grace. Here's what it says. Concerning the law, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For no one will be justified. That's made right in God's sight. Justified. No one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So what Paul says in Romans over and over again is that the purpose of the law was to reveal sin. Well, what I did when I read the law, it helped me understand what sin was. He said, I wouldn't know what coveting was if it wasn't for the law. The law helped me understand what to covet, what that means. So look at this. Grace, in simple terms, is God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement, empowerment, and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification. Back to Galatians. So here's what you have to understand. The book of Galatians was all prompted by this whole discussion we're reading this morning. When all of this happened, they came back and said, you got to be circumcised. This is why Paul starts writing Galatians. The first New Testament book written in your Bible is James. James has already written the book, by the way, at this point. The second book is Galatians. So now, as a response of this heresy of trying to tell people, well, you've got to be circumcised, Paul writes the whole book of Galatians. Matter of fact, after this sermon, go home and read Galatians, and you'll see over and over again, he talks about the law, he talks about circumcision, how these things can't save you, never could save you. So you're only saved by grace. As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching your gospel contrary to what you received, anathema on him, a curse be on him. May he be sent to everlasting flames is a rated G version of that. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged him in serious art, why? <laughs> why did they get so upset about that? Why didn't Paul and Barnabas just be like, hey, listen, y'all go believe what you believe. We'll believe what we believe. Let's all just be happy. Well, what, didn't, what, didn't, what didn't Paul and Barnabas just say, oh, it doesn't really matter, everybody's going to go to heaven? They didn't say any one of those. You know why? Because both of those are wrong. Not everybody's going to go to heaven. This is a divisive, all of this is so divisive because when we come down to grace, we're coming down to the issue of our salvation. And if we don't get this right, then we don't get salvation right. And if we don't get salvation right, nothing else really matters, Right? So he's like, this is an important issue. So they, they got into a heated debate with them. Because here's the thing. 
Paul and Barnabas, they were out there. I mean, they were, they were in these Gentile situations. They saw these people coming to salvation with them. I mean, they saw the miracles of God. They saw everything, the evidence of the conversion. They knew these Gentiles had been saved. And the circumcision had nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, the last place we were at, they didn't know anything about the law. These were pagans. Had nothing to do with the law. But they accepted the fact that Jesus is Messiah. They put faith in Jesus as Messiah, repented of their sins, and as a result, they come under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus, and now they are what we call saved, uncircumcised. And circumcision will not change a thing. Just like this morning, you will see two young men get baptized, and that baptism does not save them. Does not even make them more saved. It is an act of obedience. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing, mysterious thing, but it does not save them. Because if it saved them, then they would not be saved by grace. They'd be saved by works. We add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. So they engaged him in a serious argument and a debate. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. So evidently, they have appointed elders at the church in Jerusalem at this point, too. Just a side note, important one. So every time that we've got a church heresy, the first seven church councils right here are, is a result of heresies that rose up within the church. Interesting thing is, almost every matter of fact, all of these, except for the second one of Nicaea right here, all of these are about the deity of Christ. The Christ is Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of these arose because of heresies that moved away from that, except for the last one. The last one was about they didn't think you should have any idols in the church, period. So that's where that last one there came from. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Now here's what you have to understand. All these the places right here, they're all okay because we're starting out at, at Antioch right here, and Syria and Phoenicia, well, see, you got to get down past around Samaria, this area right here and right there. That's where the Jewish believers are going to be, and that's where they're going to have problem with people, Gentiles, getting saved and not being circumcised. All these others were filled with joy. Let me ask you a question. Were you filled with joy when you were saved? When you made your good confession of faith, were you filled with joy? Was that a joyful time in your life? Have you ever seen someone, especially an, an adult, when they get saved, how excited they are? They go telling everybody and they're just filled with joy. How are you feeling today? How's your joy today? Shouldn't we be more joyful the further we go? Shouldn't we become more sanctified the further we go in our relationship with Jesus? Shouldn't we be more excited about this today than we ever have been? Oh, see, there's so many things in this life that will just drain the kingdom joy right out of you if you let it. And to keep that kingdom joy flowing and rolling in your life, it takes work. It's called discipleship. It takes you reading your Bible, studying your Bible, praying, forcing yourself into fellowship, all these things that take hard work. And when you do this hard work, the result of that is you're filled with joy. So here's what I'm saying to you this morning. Maybe your life has all fallen apart, and it's understandable that you would have joy draining out of you. But maybe, on the other hand, your life isn't so bad right now 
but you're empty of kingdom joy because things are not going the way you think they should? Are you too focused on yourself? Are you just got your energies all turned in the wrong direction this morning? Hey, listen, I'm glad you're in church this morning. Our prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would turn and churn in your heart and get you turned back in the right direction and get you infused with kingdom joy this morning. More when you leave out than whenever you came in this morning. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Once again, not what they had done, but what God had done with them. Because what we're doing is we're trying to, our whole goal is to recognize what God is doing in the world and join him in that. We say that over and over again. We got that from experiencing God, Henry Blackaby. Amen? Amen. Amen. He was on track with that. And that's what they're saying right here. We saw what God was doing, and we just joined God in that, and all the salvations, Gentiles getting saved. But music changes to a minor key right here. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Wait a second. You mean they could get saved too? A Pharisee could get saved? Well, I say the Pharisees are the bad guys. The Pharisees are not the bad guys. We, the, the, the Pharisees, were, they were at odds with Jesus from the very beginning. Do you know why? Because they were so determined and dogged to protect the law. Do you know why they want to protect the law? Because every time that their nation, their country, their faith, their people moved away from the law, well, they ended up falling into sin. And when they fell into sin then the Babylonians or somebody would come in and take them over and, and take them away and take them into captivity and they would have to suffer until finally they repented of their sins and then there would be a revival and then they get to come back to be restored once again. So they're trying to protect that whole falling away sin going into Babylonian captivity. You ever been in Babylonian captivity before? <laughs> Held captive by the world that you live in? Under the authority of the world? Misery there? Oh, yeah, see, they, they were trying to protect that. So how would they protect that? Stringently hanging on to the law, the word of God for them. That's how you protect that. So these Pharisees had made a profession in Christ. They had come to Jesus, believe that Jesus was a Messiah, and now they are saved, and they're from the, matter of fact, this, this, this word right here, you might see sect in some versions right here. This right here, this word for party, it is the word we get heresy from, actually in the Greek. So from the, it was the heresy of the Pharisees, it's kind of funny in Greek, but anyway, it doesn't translate, but the Pharisees stood up and they said, we think they should be circumcised. Doesn't say that, does it? It is necessary to circumcise. Okay, we already saw that in verse 1. Oh, wait a second. Let's add something else to it. Circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. All 613 commandments. So listen, you can't be saved by grace if you're going to do that. You just nullify grace when that happens. So they're saying right here, now why would they say that? Because for the last 2,000 years, that's what everybody had done, and it worked. For the whole past 2,000 years, everybody, how they distinguished themselves from the world is through circumcision. And now you come riding into town and you say, all people out there are getting saved. They're coming to, to Christ. They're now God's people, God's children, and they've never been circumcised. This is, this is a thing that sets us apart from the world. And I, and I, say, I see some of y'all aren't getting it. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. See, because some of y'all that are a little bit 
on the aged side. You grew up in a church where there was a piano and an organ, and y'all sang hymns. And the preacher got up on a platform behind a podium with his suit on and the King James Version Bible, and he preached a sermon to you, and you miss that. Why on God's green earth you're here, I do not know. God bless your heart, though. Because, I mean, you got none of those things here. But, I mean, it's like... This is what I'm used to. This is what I had my whole life. This is church. And now I come in here, and this looks like a warehouse, and the, the preacher's wearing blue jeans, and he's got a TV screen. I don't know what to do with this. Where did it all change? Where do you say, oh, I can't read this. This is cursive. So now you're going to take circumcision out? Well, listen, the next thing you're going to say, you're going to say the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. But that's all the Bible they had, by the way, because James is the only one written a letter so far. So if you're going to take circumcision out, then you're just going to throw the Bible out too? You're just going to say everybody that just believes in Jesus can be saved? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. What do you mean? What's going to be the distinguishing mark between us and them? It's going to be Jesus. What? How does that work? That doesn't work. We've always had this. We've always done it this way, said no one in the church before, right? <laughs> so, yeah, circumcised. And let's also, let's hang on to that law of Moses. I'll say it again. If you're trying, this is Galatians we jumped into. Here's what he, when he's writing to the Galatians about this. He said, if you're trying to find favor with God, by being circumcised, then you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. All 613 of them. You can't just pull out one and say, okay, this is the one we're going to do. No, no, you got to do all of them. And here's what they all know. They never could be made right by the law. They never could keep it. So here comes the free gift of grace. And now they're kicking back at that grace. And they're like, mm, it's okay, but let's keep the law too. Y- y'all, ever, y'all ever been in a church where Okay, yeah, we know all these young people coming in here with the worship music and the contemporaries. Let's do the traditional service too. Let's do a, let's do a, a few hymns and then, then the worship songs. Let's just try to get it all. And it never mixes good, does it? And you know what? Hey, listen. The style of worship should not be the dividing factor among the believers in Christ. You know? The way the building looks, the way the preacher treats, the, the, the way that anybody dresses in the church... See, some of y'all right now, you're like, I could care less how other people dress in the church. I don't know what you're talking about. Good for you, but I want you to know something. There are people sitting in other churches around the world that are highly concerned about the way other people are dressed in their church. I mean, you may say that thing, man, that is the most foolish thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm agreeing with you. But I'm just telling you this. The most important thing to us should be the condition of our heart. How good is our theology? our discipleship, our worship, our missions, our evangelism, are people getting saved? Are people getting baptized? Are we honoring the Lord with communion? All these kinds, these to be things that are concerned, not what people are wearing, or even what style of music. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up, so now we've got a new, new guy introduced to the story. Remember Peter? Acts chapter 10, 
God makes him go to Cornelius, the Gentile. He preaches the gospel to him, and Cornelius and all of his house get saved. Remember that? Man, he's just as Gentile and uncircumcised as you can get, man. He's a Roman centurion. He is the enemy, and God saves him. So, oh, see, there's something good right here that you can't miss, okay? You remember Peter's always got a problem of sticking his foot in his mouth? Y'all remember that? Because he always speaks up too loud too soon. Praise be to the Lord God on high. He waits his turn. Y'all see this? He waits until it's time for him to speak sanctification. There's hope for us all. (laughs) Peter stood up and he said, brothers, you're aware that in the early days, God made, (laughs) it's funny because it's only about 40 years early, God, early days that God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just also as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? So think about this right here. A yoke, let's go back to what Jesus said. Jesus talking about the religious leaders of his time. They said they tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a a finger to move them. Look at this. You know this? This is very well-known verses, what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. My yoke. See, that's, see whenever, whenever a, a Gentile came to Judaism, then what they would say is, okay, you got to take the yoke of the law, the teaching of the law. you got to learn the law. Bear that up on your shoulders. Now you got to wear that. And, and then whenever they prove themselves, that they, they test them, that this Gentile knew the law, then they would baptize them, And if it was a man, they would circumcise them. So, you know, the um, I can just see back in the day, the whole family thinking about, hey, let's go to church and let's go down there and let's become Christian. Let's join the church. And the the man sitting back and being like, hey, the wife and kids, y'all all all go down there. That's good for y'all. But I'm going to stay back here at home today. (laughs) You know? Learn from me because I am lowly. Learn from me. See, there's the yoke. And learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, why would he say easy? Why would Jesus say my yoke is easy? Why wouldn't he say my yoke is difficult? Why would he say my yoke? Because, listen, listen. Don't misunderstand this and think that discipleship is easy. Don't misunderstand this and think that following Jesus is easy. What he's saying is, is that my teachings are easy. Why? How could he say my teachings are easy? If you got the Holy Spirit moving and turning inside of you, all of a sudden things that never made sense begin to make sense, right? So he's saying right there, listen, when you take my yoke, my teaching, it is easy. And my burden is light because he's the one that carries the burden for you. Hey, listen, some of you in here, you are stressed out and you are worried. You are worried about tomorrow. You are concerned and you're waiting on the other shoe to drop and you don't know if you're going to live through this. Here's what I got to tell you this morning. It's not about how bad the pain, how dark the day is before you. 
what the most important issue is, is am I, in, am I in Christ? Because if I'm in Christ, then listen, Christ has not promised me all sunny days, has not promised me for it to be easy, but he's promised me this much, that, that his burden is light and that he will carry me through. We want to go around. He said, I'll carry you through this. That's how I can say right here that my burden is light. So if you've got a heavy burden today, then here's my question for you. Are you in Christ? Are you living under his authority rule? Are you allowing him to reign and rule over every aspect of your life? Well, if you are, then you have nothing to fear. You see, because fear is the opposite of faith. On the contrary, we believe, here's what Peter says, that we are saved through grace. Through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Man, was that offensive to them. Now, these Jewish leaders, what do you mean the same way they are? I mean, it's like they're saved like we are. <laughs> he flips it on them. You see, you got to see the beauty in this. He flips it around and says, they first, we second. Because they always thought we're first and they're second. They got a good argument there. But Peter's flipped it around and said, look at how they're saved. We're saved that same way. By grace. Say, let me ask you something today. Right now, I just want to ask you, just if me and you were just sitting down, and we're sitting down across from each other, and I asked you, I said, Scale of 1 to 10, how grateful are you for the grace of God in your life? You can answer that just right now in your mind. You think about that. What would your answer be about that? How grateful? Right now, all things considered, where you sit, where you live, how everything is going in your life, how thankful are you for the grace of God? The grace of God erases all of your sins. Removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. The all-knowing God is willing to forget your sins. Can't wrap my mind around that one. Through Christ, your faith in Christ, you are justified, justified, never sinned before. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the authority of the law, but you're under grace. It changes everything. See, some of you, listen, if you're in Christ and you're saying, I can't stop this sin, that's a lie from the pit of hell that smells like smoke. Through the, through the power and power of the Holy Spirit, you can confess, ask for repentance, God to grant you, you can. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, amen to that. But they are justified freely by his grace. How do you do that? How do you turn so quickly? We've all sinned, but they're justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Over a hundred times in the New Testament it says that. In Christ Jesus. That is salific language that speaks of us being saved. Are you saved this morning? Are you in Christ? Are you born again? Are you redeemed? Are you being transformed from the inside out? That is the most important thing. That's, that's, that's step number one. So these kids that'll get baptized, Jeff took them through kids' faith. So we, we, what we do there is what Jeff does, he, he, he vets out their salvation to make sure they understand what being saved is before they're ever dunked in the baptistry this morning. Because we believe in believer's baptism. That person makes a profession of faith first, then they're baptized. 
Okay, let's wrap this up. Five purposes of the church. I want you to look at that right quick. You that are members of the Bridge Fellowship, and right now I want to ask you, how do you think we're doing on fellowship, worship, discipleship, evangelism, and missions? Here's what I'd present to you. You can fake this one. We're about to have fellowship here in a moment. We're going to roll in the tables in here. There's going to be a whole bunch of food out there. We're going to get the food, and we'll come back in here, and we'll eat. That's called a fellowship. We're all just getting together. Anybody can do that. And you, you, listen, I've known people that were hardened sinners. I mean, like just sinned, and then they could fake worship real good too. You can fake that. You kind of can fake this one. I mean, like this can be an intellectual exercise right here and just be all about learning. But true discipleship is more than learning. It's the application. It's the transformation that takes place as a result of the learning. And you can't fake this one. Real genuine evangelism is a work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, if we're not praying for souls to be saved, there will not be anyone getting really saved. If all we do is we get up here, and listen, I was trained early on. Not, no one sat down and told me this, but I was trained just by observation as a preacher to get up here and to turn up the sappy stories, to get people's emotional, emotions rubbed up, rubbed up real high, and then call for an invitation of people to come down and get them to, to, to repeat after me and say a prayer. And I had so much experience with so many of those people that said that prayer. They joined the church, got baptized, and then in no time at all, they were out of the church. There was no true conversion at all. Charles Spurgeon, when people came down, they said, I want to get saved. You know what he would do? He'd send them back home, say, come back next week and we'll talk. Because this is really the Holy Spirit turning and churning in you, then it doesn't have to be done in the moment. You won't be able to get out from under that stuff. So don't think just because you don't see an invitation down here that we're not doing evangelism. People aren't getting saved. We're not praying for salvation. We're not talking to people about salvation. No, it's happening. It's happening, though, on a deeper level than just somebody coming down and saying a prayer here. And then missions. Missions is not only world missions, but it's also local missions. Let me tell you something. You watch, mark my word, any church that is not involved in missions is going to dry up and die. It happens. You can have a church that is growing in numbers and become very introverted. It's all about us, all about what happens with us, all about what we do with us. And that church can roll on 10, sometimes 20 years. But man, you get about that 20, 30-year mark, if they are not really a missional church, then that church is going to go into a decline. Over and over and over again. I'll tell you something. You know, this church right here, we are relatively young. No, we are young. This is a young church. And I'll tell you something. We are just now starting to wrap our mind and our hands around this right here. But I promise you this much right here. You just sit back and watch. If we don't do that well, you'll see that. You'll see the results of that in about 15 years. This church right here will go into a decline if we don't wrap our minds around that, start praying about that, and don't get involved in missions. It's inevitable. Because just like a person that is introverted, they always end up in misery and end up alone. A church that becomes introverted always ends up in misery and starts falling apart and dying. It's just that simple. Who all is about to freeze to death in here? I've never seen so many hands go up in my life. That's me. That is me. 
<laughs> yeah. So let's get, let's get prepared for the Lord's Supper, communion, then we'll do baptism. So let's get, let's get prepared for communion right now. So I want to ask you, if you would, to please stand up for a moment. Then I'm going to get you to sit back down in a moment. But as you're standing up, <clears throat> I need to get back on the computer, please, sir. Thank you. So as you're standing, as we're getting ready for communion this morning, it's a little bit different. The communion we're going to take this morning is a little bit different. You're going to have two cups up here. Some of the ladies in our church made some homemade bread. You've got homemade bread and juice. I'm not going to let you get it just yet because there's some people among y'all that make a lot of noise with this stuff when I'm trying to talk. So y'all just got to hang on for a second, all right? <clears throat> so let's prepare our hearts. Let's just take a moment right now. Let's pray a little bit. I was looking at this verse in Psalms 119 and 25, and it really, something I'd never really noticed before. I looked up this. I collapse in the dirt. Matter of fact, you can just go look at several different translations. So what it's saying right here is like when I got to rock bottom, when I did not think I was going to make it, he prayed, revive me with your word. So I want you to look at that on the screen for just a moment. Once again, we'll come back to this. Either you've been there or you're currently there. Are you headed there? We all have trials, every single one of us. So this morning, if you're at that place where you, man, I spiritually, emotionally, relationally, I have just, I'm face down, collapsed in the dirt, then would you pray right now? Let me pray for you. So God, because I know some, when you're there, it's so hard to pray. So God, right now, I just want to lift up the ones among us right now that are just being drugged against rock bottom, just bouncing off rock bottom right now. And it seems that at every turn, everything is going wrong. So this morning, oh God, I pray that you would revive them. So right now, if you're at that place, just, just I know it's hard for you to pray. Just say, God, that's me. It's in your heart. God, I need your help this morning. Revive me, oh God. So look back at the screen again, please. So God, create, let's make this our prayer right now. Just right now in our hearts, God, create a clean heart in me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, this is our prayer. So right now, just in your heart, just be praying to the Lord. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. So earlier I asked you about that joy that you had when you came to Christ. And some of you, that joy has been depleting or it is depleting. So today, would you come back? God, bring me back to that place of kingdom joy. Would you pray that in your heart? Remember, then how far you have fallen. So right now, don't you think about that gap between where you were and where you are today. It says repent. So God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness.
Grant me repentance, O Lord. And do the works you did at first. So what was it that you were doing when you were filled with that kingdom joy? It's God, just bring me back. Revive my heart. Would you pray that? At the front, we've got the containers, and we've also got them at the back, two opposite sides. So if you're up at the front, you can come get one of these. If you're at the back, you can go get one of those. When you get it, you turn to your seat. If you'd have a seat, please, once you get yours. You can send one person from your family if you want. 